Good morning. It is wonderful to be here. Um, it's very wet, though. That's the main thing I've noticed. Um, we're from Texas. I know you can't tell we're from Texas. We've lived in Texas now for 19 years. Um, this is not a Texan accent, as you can tell. Um, I'm from Alabama. Uh, no, I'm from uh, Manchester. Uh, and it's wet there as well. Uh, but it's sunny in Texas right now. But I'm so happy to be here. We're going to talk about discipleship today. And I'm going to start by sharing a little bit of my story because it kind of factors into what I've learned about discipleship. I was um, born uh, in Manchester, actually born in London, but moved to Manchester. Uh, fantastic family. Not born into a Christian or religious family. Uh, I was born with asthma and eczema. Uh, when I was 13 years old, my eczema became septic, which meant I had to lie in a bath at night because when my bandages came off, my skin used to peel off as well. It was really bad. Uh, there was a teacher in my school who uh, advertised what we would call a tent crusade. And I went there on the last night because um, somebody said to me, hey, um, we're here and people are getting healed. You should go. You're like a cripple. So I went on the last day, uh, got to this tent crusade. When I was there, the evangelist tricked me because the evangelist basically preached. I didn't fully understand everything, but I, I wanted to respond. So he said, if you want to respond, say this prayer. So I said the prayer. And then he said, if you said the prayer, put your hand up, which I thought was a bit odd, but I put my hand up. And then he said, if you've put your hand up, please stand up. And I remember thinking, this is the last thing I'm going to do. So I stood up. And then he said, if you're stood up, please come to the back. We'd like to pray with you. And I thought, there is no way... And then there was quite a cute blonde, and she went forward, and just then I kind of felt God call me. So I kind of went forward as well, got prayed for, started to go to church. Um, so basically, it happened for me uh, through school's work. About a week later, I went to church and heard I could pray directly to God without needing... Am I okay to step down here sometimes? I can't, stop. I can't stand still, I'm sorry. So I went to church, and um, I heard I could pray to God directly without needing a priest. So I prayed, and within about nine days, my, uh, not only did the septic stuff go, but my eczema went totally. So this was good news, and it was bad news. Uh, the good news, I always tell people, was, okay, so God's real. He heaven must be real. The Bible's real. That's great. The bad news is, that also means that the devil is real and hell is real, and I need to tell people about this. So um, I, I, that's why I wanted to tell people about Jesus. And uh, eventually I um, wanted to be a missionary. I thought God was calling me to Africa or somewhere. Went to train in Scotland. God told me to go back to Manchester. When I got back to Manchester, um, uh, um, somebody through a publicity campaign had kind of shut down the schools to any kind of Christian import for a while. Uh, which backfired because all the young people decided they wanted to reach their schools for Jesus. And so um, they, they started like lunchtime Christian clubs in the school, and then they were going to college, so all these, these clubs were going to fall apart. So I was asked if I could carry one on, so I did. So I carried on this club, probably about 30 kids. I'm looking around thinking, wow, there's 500, 600 people in this school. They teach certain uh, lessons that I can go in and help them with. Uh, they, somebody else has bought the building, somebody else is paying the staff, somebody else is paying the electric. There's only 20 young people in our youth group. Why aren't we in this school? So I went to the education committee in Manchester, knocked on the door, said, excuse me, can you, can you uh, help me give me your personal and social education curriculum? And they gave it me. And I found six subjects that I thought I could probably say something about these. So I went to school and said, listen, when you teach law and order, you bring in the fire, firemen, uh, sorry, the policemen. When you do health and safety, you bring in the firemen. When you do these six subjects, maybe I could come into the school. And they said, yes. 
And the first time I did the lesson, I can remember my introduction went like this. Well, class, we've been looking at the myths that people believe in around the world. Last week, if you remember, we looked at Noah and the ark. You're not going to believe this. We found someone who believed that really happened. His name is Paul. Let's give him a round of applause. And that was my introduction. And I walked in. And I did my thing. Within about three years, I was in about 17 different schools. And finding that young people wanted to find out more about Jesus, but they wouldn't go to church unless they knew someone who was going to be in that church. So in 1992, uh, at the Foxy Lynn, my wife and I, we uh, started something called the Pays Movement. This is a, if we can do this, uh, it's red. I don't know if that, red normally means bad. I don't know if that's bad. Uh, there we go. Um, our first team. So that's me in the middle. Um, thinking this is really cool. Um, these are full-time people. Each one of them was based in a different church, and we acted as a relational bridge between the church and the school. Worked really, really well. Um, so lots of young people find out about Jesus. Um, I'm looking smug in that picture because I'm thinking, job done. That's the vision. Um, fast forward about 30 years, um, and we advertise this free gap year. So young people come for a year. And they're housed by people in the church, and they work with a church youth group, and they're reaching to local schools. We'd love to put one of these teams into uh, Wales. Um, so these are the nations we're either in or, or training people to start paying around the world. So we're in about 20 different nations right now, working in schools. Um, the, before COVID, these were the people who were on pays in the UK. Uh, putting into teams, they're all from different parts of the world, going to churches for a whole year, working in the church, serving with the pastor, helping the local schools. Uh, this is in Africa. What we do is we train young people in different ways of uh, studying the Bible. We actually have a book at the back here. So we talk to them about how we study the Bible in a different kind of way so that you can do that with people who don't know Jesus. Um, and these are young people, not simply studying the Bible, they've come to be trained how to do this and share it with their friends. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, this is in uh, Brazil. This young lady, um, we'll talk about this in a minute, she came to Jesus through discipleship, which I'll explain later, uh, and now she works with Pays, or she worked with Pays a couple of years ago, uh, working in the favelas in Brazil. This is in Islamabad. Sometimes, we went to America, people said, oh, you can't do schools work in America. If you can do it in Islamabad, you can do it anywhere. We had a phone, we had a public, a Muslim public school call us uh, in Islamabad to complain that we weren't in their school, that we were in another school down the road. <laughs> um, in Germany, um, if you do pays in Germany, you actually get a certificate from the government and some financial help and support as well, because they realize the level of training is really, really good. So if we ever do put a team in Wales and you meet a German pays apprentice, ask them for money. They're loaded. They've got tons of it. <laughs> um, my favorite story, this is Clem and Anani. Uh, Clem uh, came to uh, England to train. He's from India. Trained in England and learned we have some different techniques. My personal opinion is the way we do evangelism, Bible study, and discipleship doesn't work so well. So I think we have to rethink that methodology. So he learned some of that new methodology, went back to Chennai in India. When he got there, um, he said, can I do this stuff? Can, so the pastor, can I do this with the youth ministry? And the pastor said, that's an American thing. It's an English thing. It won't work here. But Clem begged him, please let me try it. So the pastor said, okay, to his credit. Six months later, true story, the pastor was so happy with him, he gave him a wife. So if you've got a son you're trying to get rid of, send him on pays. We'll hook him up. 
And her name is Hanani. So Clem and Hanani, they lead pays in uh, Chennai now in India, working in different parts of India, uh, sharing the gospel in schools and recruiting people and uh, helping them all over the world. So I have a, um, a little bit of a question that I like to uh, share with people. It's a question I had on my mind uh, for many, many years. And the question is, why did God make me below average? Um, I was born below average. I was born with all sorts of physical ailments. I was, I'm below average artistically. Um, all my friends at school in art class would get marks, you know, 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10. I literally got question marks. What is this? Um, I was born um, always lasting cross-country, not very fit, naturally unfit. Um, I was infamously the most ugly baby in my, our family. So I was born in the 60s. Well, you can tell, really, can't you? I was um, born in the 60s, so true story. My, when my grandmother came in to see me, of course, in the 60s, there's, there had these certain times when people could come and visit, and all the new mothers would be sat up in the beds, and all the babies would be in the cots, and all the husbands, the fathers, the new fathers would be sat next to them, and, uh, you know, the family would walk in. My grandmother walked in. She literally, apparently, this is literally what she did. She walked, I don't, obviously, I don't remember this, but I'm told this by my dad. She walked in. She went, hi, hi, is this him? Okay. <laughs> she looked at me, didn't say a word. She picked me up, no word of a lie. She took me to the window to double check what she was seeing was real. <laughs> she still didn't say anything. She put me down. She looked at this baby and said, oh, this one's nice. That's what she said to my mum. That's how ugly I was on my, uh, and you can tell really from the picture, look at those teeth. <laughs> Weapons of mass destruction. Um, when I was six years old, I was born with a speech impediment. You just think I'm English, but sometimes you'll hear me slur my words or get things back to front uh, because my brain doesn't work properly in, in that way for some reason. So I was sent when I was a little boy to um, a special school, a private, not private school, but a special school for elocution lessons. But it was a school for elocution dance and movement lessons. So it was me and lots of little six-year-olds in ballerinas. And at the age of six, I got expelled for biting the girls. Now look at those teeth. <laughs> you can imagine how much damage I did. So uh, I was taken by uh, to, a, um, to a doctors who said to, to my parents, Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs, uh, Paul is a problem child and always will be. When I first started going to schools, I, I mixed things up in my head. So when I first went into school, I hope you don't mind me telling these stories. There's a point to this in a minute. Um, I went to a school, and um, so I, I, I feel like I know my Bible. For instance, I know the Lord's Prayer. I, there's things I could probably teach you about the Lord's Prayer. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, you wouldn't know. Um, but if you ask me to say the Lord's Prayer now, 50-50 chance I'll say it in the correct order. It's just that my brain doesn't remember things like that. So many years ago, I was asked in a school to, um, I did an, uh, an assembly, and, and the, the headmaster was so happy, he said, Paul, that was great. Maybe you could lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, maybe I can. Maybe I can't. Let's give it a go. So I had a plan. So that I'll start off with our Father. But if, I, if I delay my next phrase, next verse, the kids will say it, which will remind me, yeah? So I said, our Father... Who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy. But they started to slow down as well. So I thought, oh, I need to quiet. If they can't hear me, they'll have to say it. So I got quieter. The trouble is, they got quieter. 
And the Lord's Prayer took about a minute to say it was absolutely awful. At the end of it, I'm looking at them, they're looking at me, and everybody's thinking the same thing, what just happened? And it's just really, really awkward. And then suddenly from the back, you heard this. This kind of sarcastic sounding clap. And the headmaster came forward. I'm stood there terrified. And he walks forward. He's got tears in his eyes. And he turns and says, Paul, that was amazing. The way you made us think about every single word. Absolutely incredible. It's the way I roll. It's just, it's just the way I roll. So I learned a couple of things from that. One is that um, you know, God can use our weaknesses, yeah? But the second thing is this. I believe God made me purposely below average for a reason. I have what I consider to be the most important job in the world. Last night, uh, we were, as leaders, we, were talking about, we got into talking about American politics. I believe my job is more important than the uh, President of the United States. I genuinely believe that. Because he can change people's physical lives. God's given me a calling to change their eternal lives. There is nothing more important than the gospel, in my opinion. I have the most important job in the world with young people. Most people make their decision to follow Jesus when they're young. There's nobody with a more important job, in my opinion, in the world. So why would God take a below-average person and put them into that role? I know some really great, charismatic, brilliant speakers. There's some people you will know and see on stage. I know those people. I, I could call them up. Why not use them? Well, it's very simple. God made me below average to help average people do above average things. You see, very charismatic, naturally gifted people, when they get to my age, mid-30s, when they get to my age, don't laugh, when they get to my age, their, their issue is how do I pass on this thing that's natural to me to others? It's hard sometimes. But everything I do, you can do. I do evangelism. I do discipleship. You can do those things. We're all called to those things. So God made me below average to help average people do above average things. We have lots of average people on pays. Most people are average. That's the point. And sometimes we're trying to be like these superstars, these superheroes, and maybe 1% of us can be like them, but 99% of them are like me. In fact, 99% of people are more able than me. So God made me below average to help um, average people do above average things. How? Through discipleship. So what's discipleship? Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read from verse 16. Matthew 28 verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will with you always till the very end of the age. Okay, so forgive me. I'm going to show a little diagram. I, I kind of, I'm a bit of a visual learner. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to show you a diagram. So imagine... Uh, me. Imagine me working in schools, okay? I don't know if you can see this. This diagram has 0 to 10 individual skill, skills. So let's say as a schools worker, as, a, uh, as somebody who shares the gospel, let's say I was a 7 out of 10. I was okay. I got better. I was average. I was able to reach 10,000 students on my own per year. That's a lot of students. But integrate into the family of God less than a handful. They won't go with me because I... Well, are you going to be that church? Well, no, I'm going to be over here. 
So I switch from trying to get better at my individual skills to discipling other people with a little skill I had. Well, now we're reaching millions and have integrated into the family of God thousands. Now, in that time, I didn't work harder. In that time, I got married. We had two children. I simply did what Jesus had told us to do. I discipled people. I took the one thing I could do for God, and we all have something, don't we? Even if it's prayer or hospitality or worship or being able to, you know, some people are naturally good at sharing their faith. You're not scared of just sharing your faith. Everybody has something. I took that one thing that I had, and I recruited and trained other people in doing that. Everybody can do that. In fact, Jesus expects everybody who follows him to do that. I have a weird question. So um, I, I was part of a church years ago that had a lot of money and could hire whoever they wanted. So if they wanted a, somebody who was five, let's say, as in not to five, they were really good at something, they were five, they would hire a five. They would just go out there. American church had lots of money. We'll just throw money at the problem. We'll hire a five. Maybe with a bit of experience, that person will become a six. This makes sense. I think Jesus had a different way. So let's take a five. Let's imagine you're a little bit better in that area, and you add a seven equals 12. And this is really simple. My question is, sorry, what's your discipleship number? What's the number, what's the added value you bring to someone as they impact this world for the kingdom of God? What do you bring to their lives? What's your discipleship number? Even if it's one, it's something. How good are you at discipling people? Are there skills to be learned? Are there things to discover from Jesus? What's your discipleship number? So, so many of us are, are focused on the wrong thing. Um, on page, we have this phrase, to be kingdom-centric or to be Christian-centric. To be kingdom-centric is to pursue our vision and do it God's way so he will give us what we want. And there are many, many books out there on Christian-centric religion. Give, he'll give you more. Discover your ministry gift. Because it's all about you, of course. If you're Christian-centric, how would you know? Well, Christian-centric people pursue God's blessing. I want to do this in order that God blesses me. If you're kingdom-centric... You'll pursue God's anointing. I want to do this so that God makes what I do for him more effective. And so many people who are Christian-centric are wrapped up in their ministry gift. Well, it, is this my ministry gift? Who cares? I don't think Jesus does. I'll be honest with you. I just don't think he does. He never talked about it. He never talked about ministry gift, ever. Oh, what about the parable of the talents? That wasn't about ministry gift. just happens to be... The word talents is the same word for money. That's about faithfulness. All your ministry gift is, is nuance. You're called to disciple. You're called to share your faith. Your ministry gift may be the way you can do that, which is great. That's all it is. It's a tool. If you're Christian-centric, it's all about your ministry gift. Well, I'll do this if it fulfills my ministry gift. Who cares? It fulfills your ministry gift. My question is, does it advance the kingdom of God? 
Because Jesus expects you to advance the kingdom of God. Are you using your ministry gift to reproduce what God has done in you in other people? And how, how would you do that? I want to talk about three ways you can grow your discipleship number very quickly. Three things I've learned on my journey. The first one is this. We need to go beyond... Whoops, I've gone backwards too fast, sorry. We need to go beyond education to experience. Listen to what the Bible says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Dead right. They'd seen it. They weren't seriously. They were like, oh, that explains it. That explains what we're seeing. We're seeing the wind and the waves calm down. We're seeing miracles happen. All the authority was given because he took them on a journey. Let me ask you a question. When did the disciples become Christians? When did the disciples become Christians? Some people would say, well, when they first followed him. Really? So when they first followed him, they knew who he was. Well, they knew he was the Messiah, maybe, or suspected, right? So is knowing Jesus was the Messiah good enough to be a Christian? Or do we need to know that he's God? Had they fully repented and put their full trust in him? We know it happened at some point on the journey, don't we? Because Peter said himself, let me just read what Peter said. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There was a process involved. When did the disciples become Christians? You might want to make a note of this. We don't know. We don't know. I don't think so. We could guess. But for every one of them, what we know is it was some point on the journey. Let me ask you another question. When did Jesus start to disciple the disciples? When they followed him, right? Well, that can't be right because what you're telling me is that Jesus discipled people and at some point along the way they came to believe. That's exactly right. Why don't we do that? What we do is we get people saved and then maybe we disciple them. I was saying yesterday, in America, if you're a man, that means someone takes you to Starbucks, reads the Bible to you and asks you some really awkward accountability questions. But Jesus took people on a journey with them, with him. What journey are you going on? What are you doing to advance the God's kingdom? And who are you taking with you? Because experience makes people itchy. Experience leads people to education. I showed you a picture of a young girl in Brazil. Before she became a Christian, she went on mission with Pays. She didn't become a pays apprentice, but she joined the team and went into areas as they prayed for people, as they fed people, as they helped people with their needs, and she experienced the kingdom of God, and she came to believe. And along the way of coming to believe, she then realized that the kind of Christianity she bought into wasn't Christian-centric, was kingdom-centric. Because in her mind, oh, being a Christian means you feed the poor. Being a Christian means you pray for people. Being a Christian means you share your faith. It's not an optional extra. It's what being a Christian actually is. There's a loads of stuff in Christianity. I, I'm, I'm a bit of an oddball because I'll be in meetings. Everybody go, yeah, and I go, I'm not sure. 
And there's a lot of specious things said in churches, things that have the ring of truth, but when you look at them, are discovered to be false. Here's one. Forgive me if, if anybody's ever said this, but here's one. We're not human doings, we're human beings. You ever heard that? We're not human. No, it's a little famous one maybe in America. We're not human doings, we're human beings. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, amen. The whole point is about the fact that, you know, we can't earn our way into heaven, which is absolutely true. But it, it leads us into this idea that God doesn't care about what we do. But he does. He says, if you love me, you will know your identity in Christ. No, if you love me, you will do what I say. You will obey me. What we do helps Jesus know what we meant by what we said. When we said, I will follow you. So we need to take people on an experience. You can do that, can't you? As long as you're doing something for God, you know, even if it's prayer at home, there are people who don't know how to pray. Invite them to come and learn from you. That's what Jesus is expecting from you. It's what he's expecting from me. So where or what are you doing and who can you take with you? Second thing I learned about this, we need to go beyond protecting to proving. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What's interesting about the disciples, most of us will know this, most of them were probably teenagers. Peter, we know for a fact, was over 20 because he needed temple tax. Um, some Messianic scholars, I don't believe this, but some of them would say that the youngest disciple was nine years old, for reasons I won't go into. But they would all agree that they're probably between the ages of around about 12 to 20. Very different from the Hollywood movies or even Chosen. They were young people. And he said to young people, go. And he took them to some strange places. He took them to Caesarea Philippi. So well, that's a bit of a field trip from where they were based. So he takes them out of their way. He's not like around the corner. He takes them, I think it's like 23 kilometers. He takes them a long way to this place. When he gets there, you've got a great big rock. And on top of this rock, you have the city, Caesarea Philippi. And he says, all authority, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Even the gates of Hades, what's, what's he talking about? Even the gates of Hades. Well, at the bottom of that rock, there was a, a hole, there's like a cave, and there's some water, like where, spring water. It was called the gates of Hades because that's where they believed that the spirits of the underworld would rise up. Next to it was a temple uh, to the goat god Pan. Um, there were some very disgusting things that happened there, including animals. Jesus takes the disciples, teenagers, out of the way to this place and says to them, upon this rock, I will build my church. In other words, with these kind of people, I'm going to build my church. And I'm sending you. That's a scary place. That's a scary thing. We don't do that. You know, in America, 83% of young people who were going to church have stopped going to church by the end of the first year of college. Why? I'm going to make a suggestion. We've protected their faith. They get to college, and they have no experiences. It's a bit like David and Goliath. David fights Goliath. Saul puts the armor on David. In our Sunday school version, it's just too big and he's little, but that's not true. He's a big lad. 
He says in, in the original language, or certainly in the message at least, it, it, and I think in the, original, in, in the in, um, original language it kind of proves this. He says, I can't use it because I'm not proving it or I'm not used to it. It's not it's too big. I've never used it. I don't know if it works. So what happens is we send our kids off to college and they, they've got no experiences because they've been protected. We've said, therefore, stay, not therefore, go. And so they get to college, they've, they've, all these things they weren't exposed to before, they're now exposed to, and they've got none of their experiences. So they don't want their pastor's armor. They don't want their, their, their parents' armor because they've not used it. They've not chosen it. They don't know if it works, I guess. Now, David was able to go and get some stones because he'd fought the bear. He'd fought the lion. He knew these things worked. What can our kids reach to? A Bible study, sitting on a nice soft seat. We need you to take them on experiences. Now, if you're not going on an experience, we're in trouble. But I know there there are people here who you go out on the streets and there's the street pastors here. Some of you go, you go out, you take the kids with you. Don't put them just downstairs, play some loud music. Take them on an experience. Let them see. Show them. Don't just tell them. That's what I'm learning. We have to go beyond protecting to proving. Um, we, we train young people. When, um, when, we, when we put a PACE team, we're looking for churches or a church that we could put a PACE team in that would reach into schools in, in South Wales. Um, and when we train them, we, we um, enroll kids in the youth academy. So our, our young adults will ask young people, would you like to be part of this youth academy? Would you sign up for evangelism, Bible study, and um, discipleship? So we'll run these things. And young people sign up and say, yeah, I, want to, I want to be trained in how to advance the kingdom of God. We have a little video. We're going, to, we're going to show that in a moment. So this is the video that we show young kids. So our PAYS apprentices are recruiting young people uh, to this. Thank you. slide and that'd be great. Um, so for me, we need to preach, but when we preach, we need to preach a kingdom-centric gospel. Jesus did not come to rescue you. I'm sorry he didn't. Jesus did not come to rescue you. He came to recruit you. Now along the way, he had to rescue you, because how can darkness bring light? But Jesus did not come to rescue you. He came to recruit you. And we need to tell young people that. I, I was never told that, but it was implied to me when I was a kid. I'm fortunate. I, I went to a church that I felt really early on I was supposed to tear my faith. Partly because the person who led me to Jesus was doing that. So I thought, well, that's Christianity. I just worry that in our churches nowadays, young people get saved and they think Christianity is sitting on a chair waiting to be blessed. 
If I do this, God will bless me. If I don't do that, God won't punish me. There's more to Christianity than that. There's this incredible adventure of following Jesus. Finally, we need to go beyond answers. Beyond answers to understanding. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Um, it said that Jesus was asked 300 questions in his ministry. 300 questions he was asked in his ministry, apparently. They say he gave a straight answer to about three. Jesus asked about 125 questions in his ministry, most of them in response to questions he was being asked. Why? Because rabbis didn't do Q&A, they did Q&Q. Um, so um, it's a bit like this rope. You know, we have a question. Yes? And we want the answer ASAP. God, what should I do? Tell me quick. Where should I go? Tell me quick. I think sometimes our questions reveal something to God that is a, I would call a knot of, in our understanding. Something more important. Lord, how often should I forgive? Mm, you don't understand grace yet. Our questions reveal things to God. And so rabbis use questions because sometimes they would see that, okay, your question tells me there's a more bigger, important principle you, you don't get yet. There are some people who will spend their whole lives as Christians asking a question they'll never get an answer to because they're, they're missing an understanding of the kingdom of God. Now, when, when the understanding comes, the answer comes very quickly afterwards. Um, uh, uh, and how does this relate to discipleship? Well, there was a woman who went to, uh, in, she was in Jerusalem, and uh, true story, she was thinking, I want a souvenir. So she went into a shop of photos, of pictures of Jerusalem, all taken by the artist. And she said to the guy who took the photos, oh, I don't know which one to choose. Which one's your favorite? So which he answers to her, he's a Jew. He answers to her the question, which one's your favorite? Are you married? And I don't know what she thought. Hmm. Unexpected twist. Um, well, yeah, I am married. Why? She remembers to say, why? Why? He says, so do you, do you have children? And she says, yes, I have three. Why? To which he says, which one's your favorite? <laughs> now, at the beginning, he could have said, oh, they're all, like, they're all like children to me. But instead, he made her feel what he felt. He gave her understanding you don't need to be the person with all the answers. You need to be the person with great questions. And sometimes the devil tricks us or society tricks us or we get intimidated and we think, I can't disciple because I don't have all the answers. Of course you don't. But I bet you've got some good questions that you could ask people and help them. Because when understanding comes, people can find their own answers pretty quickly anyway. Don't not do discipleship because you don't have answers. Think, what are the great questions? What are the great questions I asked? What, what were my doubts? Thomas, I doubted. What were my doubts and how did, how did Jesus reveal himself to me? And how do I put those same questions in other people's minds? I had a situation with a, someone I really care about many, many years ago who used to love Jesus and doesn't now but said to me once, well, I, I actually don't believe in God anymore. And I instinctively just doubted that. I think, I'm not sure that's true. Now, I wasn't going to try and prove all God's exists. And if you look at the wind or turn on the light and, you know, you can't see the wind, but blah, 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 blah. I simply asked a question and said, are you sure you don't believe in God? I definitely don't believe in God. Let me ask you a question. You've got children you love. If one of them fell terminally ill, would you pray? 
immediately, without saying anything, his wife turned and said, you know you would. I didn't, I didn't prove anything. I just simply asked a question. I simply asked a question. If you're interested, um, I would encourage you to invest in what you do. Most of us invest in a billion different things. We invest in self-help books. We invest in all sorts of different stuff. Two things I'd like you to consider investing, or one really, is um, we have a book on how to do discipleship. You'll remember maybe one thing I've said, but uh, if you read, there are some books at the back you can get, and some of the proceeds go towards pays, which helps us put missionaries on the field. So if you're interested, uh, very, very practical books. If you know someone who's not a Christian, I just thought about this earlier, there's an, another book you might be interested in. This is called The Shapes Test. It's a secular book uh, that we wrote, but it's based on a personality test. helps people understand themselves, understand others, and make themselves understood. It's a bit like a book on discipleship, but it's not a book on discipleship. But it'd be great for someone you know that maybe you're talking to about Jesus and you want them to have some biblical values without preaching to them. So it might be something you might be interested in. And it's very fun. You can go online. The test is free. You just take the test. It tells you what shape you are and you can uh, do that. Let me finish with that one last thought then, if that's okay. So um, many years ago, I was watching the TV. Um, and you know, like you see all these terrible things happening in different places in different countries. Uh, I was watching the TV, and there was a story about a young girl, she was 16 years old, called Suzanne. And um, the story was that she'd been kidnapped, um, she'd been tortured for a week, and then she'd been dumped in South Manchester. Uh, gasoline had been poured on her, and while she was alive, her teeth had been taken out. She was set on fire. Before she died, she managed to creep to the road and share um, who had done this. So they caught the thieves. So then they showed a picture of the thieves. Well, they were neighbors of ours. Our next door neighbor was their grandfather. Um, my wife, Lynn, had gone to their house to cut their hair. In fact, they showed one of the instruments of torture, which was a big wooden spoon that they tied Suzanne to. And Lynn said, oh, that used to be on the wall. We used to take that off to create room to be able to cut their hair in the house. All this freaked me out. What freaked me out most, however, was when they showed the picture of where Suzanne had been tortured for a whole week. It was just around the corner from me. And I realized I'd walked past that house every day she'd been tortured four times. Where? To my church office and back for lunch. My church office and back in the evening. Completely unaware of what was going on. You drove here today completely unaware of what was going on in the homes around you. Yeah? No idea. We have to get ourselves invited. We want a church where we can put a team here because we know how to get ourselves invited into those kind of schools. When Suzanne was screaming out to God, which I'm sure she was at some points during that week, did she know who God was? The likelihood of her coming into our churches is minuscule. Minuscule. The likelihood. But the opportunity to go into her school is massive. But only if we take up the opportunity. People need you. They don't need you. They need God in you. And you may feel you have very little. You may feel you're average. I'm below average. I can prove it. I've got the, the doctor's notes. <laughs> but God can use you if you will give the little you have to God and say, okay, God, who can I train to do this with me? Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your love. Uh, we pray, Lord, as we think about discipleship, uh, you would challenge us, Lord, even now, Lord, to, to think about what is that thing I'm doing 
that I can advance the kingdom of God with, whether it's prayer or some kind of musical gift, wherever it might be, just the ability to talk or pray for people. Maybe you know how to pray for people. Maybe you just know how to pray. What is that thing? And then secondly, who can I invite? Who can I invite on my journey? How do I reproduce what God has done in me in other people? And I would encourage you to take seriously the call that Jesus has on your life. Go and make disciples. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful church that is, um, Lord, just going in the direction of discipleship. Thank you so much for Gareth and Hannah who are just a massive encouragement to me and a massive uh, just blessing they've invited us. Pray, Lord, you'll bless them and we will bless this church. In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Anoint this church for your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.